Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. By day, Nikayla Matthews is a social media strategist and senior manager for social media marketing at NPR. But in her spare time, she runs a podcast called Side Hustle Pro, featuring interviews with successful black women entrepreneurs. In this episode of Hack the Process, Nikayla will tell us why she chose to focus her subject matter at the expense of narrowing her audience, what keeps her motivated to continue her side hustle despite her successful professional career, and how her research and launch strategy contributed to her show's success. Today I'm speaking with Nikayla Matthews, and she is a social media strategist in one part of her life and the host of a podcast called Side Hustle Pro in the other part of her life. Nikayla, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. I'm always curious, you have a, a split life where you're doing a couple of things professionally. How do you introduce yourself? Oh, that's a good question. I think it really depends on the context where I am. If I'm you know, at a conference for work, for example, I'll probably just introduce myself by my work title. But in most cases, in outside of work, I'm introducing myself as the creator and host of Side Hustle Pro. Okay, your work title. I mean, you, you, uh, you've worked with some pretty big companies. I think you're working with NPR right now, right? I always think in terms of Side Hustle Pro. So I'm like, what, what do I do again? <laughs> I'm the senior <laughs> manager of digital marketing at NPR currently. Wow, that sounds really impressive. And it also sounds like something that could take a lot of your time and easily not leave a lot of time on the side for side hustling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely hard to juggle. And it's something that I'm continually trying to get better at. If you have a successful career, what is it that motivates you to go off and do a side hustle on the side? Well, Side Hustle Pro for me really started out of a time when I was unemployed. And it was something that started as a blog. I just started blogging again, writing about things that interested me. And that led me to start interviewing people who inspired me. And I found myself drawn to entrepreneurs because I was just impressed by people who had the guts to go out there and do their own thing. And especially people who started out as a side hustle. So for me, it all started when I was unemployed. And then when I was able to get a full-time role, I knew that I didn't want to stop doing it because it's something that excited me. It just made me feel alive. Like I love the value that others found from it when they read it. And then eventually when I started the podcast, when they listened to it. And so for me, it was one of those things where I knew that having a passion outside of work would make me even better at my job. It would make me have something that also made me test out new skills. For example, it very much relates to what I do in my day to day. Obviously, I work for a podcast engine. So having that lens of a podcaster definitely helps when it comes time to try to market new projects that we're putting out. Also, just getting to test things before I have permission to at work has been helpful to say, hey, I know how to do this because I tested it out on my own podcast. I've heard that it's always better to ask forgiveness rather than permission for some things. Oh, yeah, that is my <laughs> motto. <laughs> 
So when you launched your podcast, though, one of the things that I noticed about your statistics was you launched pretty big. You were in the, the top 20 right away. Yeah, that is a top 20 in business. So I was very strategic. I wanted to, I made sure to, you know, label my podcast appropriately so that it would fall in the business category. And then when I launched, I put it out there to all of my networks, to everyone I knew. I had the guests promoting, you know, I went in with three episodes to start. So there was great content for people to dig into. And I think all of that really helped it to have that, have enough of like a, enough traction that first week for it to start growing and, and go up to number 20 on the iTunes charts. It sounds like a really carefully planned strategic launch, actually. And it sounds like that's also, that's your own background, right? That's what you've studied. That is my background. I fell into marketing and, and social media marketing by chance. You know, I went to school for communications. My undergrad, I went to school for communications. And from there, went into various roles trying to find my way, like most people do. I did a little bit of PR. And then I had like a mid-20s crisis where I just was like, what is going on with my life? And when I was finally able to just break through that, try different things, I landed a role as a social media marketer for a startup. And from there, I continued on in social media. And I really pushed myself to learn as much as I could and also realized that I wanted to have more of a business lens when I looked at marketing. And that led me to go back and get my MBA from the University of Michigan. So coming in, I did have a highly attuned, you know, strategic brain thinking about marketing. And obviously anything that I launched for myself, I wanted to make sure that I built out a marketing plan. So I did that in Google Docs. I had a whole checklist for that for, for that first episode. That's wonderful. And it, it uh, it's probably something that you bring to your work when you do consulting as a social media strategist as well. Absolutely. Do you still consult independently? I don't have the time to right now, but it's something that I may pick up again in the future. There's just way too much going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine. Yeah. I, I'm I'm really curious that you know you're seeing the the podcasting side from both the corporate perspective and also from the individual perspective. How does those compare and contrast for you? Well, as an independent podcaster, it's very much a grassroots, you know, it's like you're bootstrapping. So working inside of a podcast engine, you really see how much money goes into making something the audio just sound beautiful. Like that just doesn't just happen. You know, there's all sorts of magic happening behind the scenes to seamlessly weave together ads and and music and credits and all of that. So this having to do it myself. And for a long time, I was my a one woman show. So I did everything from sourcing the guests to the questions, the interview, then the production and publishing. And now I'm starting to um, hire staff to do some of that. But I realize just, you know, how much it takes to really make something be well produced. I never knew what a producer really does until I started my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worthwhile. A lot of people are out there wanting to launch a podcast. What things are working and what things are not working that you see people trying? You know, that's a hard question to answer because things change so quickly and it's not like a one size fits all. For example, something like a NS Town or Serial is way different than launching a non-serialized show that's just, you know, every episode has different content. So in that way, it's kind of apples and oranges when you compare it. But in terms of marketing, I love seeing production and publishers 
try new ways of releasing episodes. So most recently, I really was in, tuned into what Gimlet did with a podcast by the name of Mogul. They released it exclusively on, what is that, Spotify for its initial run and then release it to the other players and, and, and publishing platforms. And I think things like that, like having real partnerships with these platforms like Apple and Spotify, who's now, you know, trying to come up and, and really be a platform for podcasts and finding new ways to partner to release your episodes is one unique strategy. I also think now that Apple is rolling out and eventually will roll out better ways for you to distinguish seasons. I think we'll see people doing more of that serialized content now that they can really distinguish like, hey, this is one long story that's going to be weaved out and you can get it every day. I think that some people are really trying to think through like, what can I do as a Netflix strategy? You know, like, what if we released it all at once? But then how do you stay on the charts? So those are questions that everyone is contemplating. But those are some unique things that I see people doing now. Part of what makes your podcast as interesting to listen to as it is, is that you've come up with a real focus. And I think what you say, you, your focus is on bold black women entrepreneurs, which is a unique audience. It's a unique audience and a unique market, I think. Yes. I initially started focusing on black women entrepreneurs because those stories were ones that I just did not see readily. Like you kind of, you know, when there's an issue with a black woman entrepreneur in it, because you just don't see that often. So you run out and get that or you everyone's sharing that article. And I and I decided that, you know, I was tired of this narrative of entrepreneurship that wasn't as inclusive. Like I myself had dreams of eventually branching my social media and marketing consultancy out and being my own boss, but I was scared and I realized what I needed to see is myself represented in this narrative. So I didn't see a podcast like that out there. So I decided to start it. That's awesome. And you've done an amazing job of sourcing people to interview in your show too. I'm curious, how, how did you go about identifying potential guests and what's that? what was that experience like for you? Initially, I sat down and I really just wrote out a list of women that inspired me, women that I thought had really interesting stories across different disciplines and industries because I wanted it to, of course, touch on different types of businesses. You know, we're not all doing the same kind of businesses. And then, like with most people, I started with my network. I started with people who I knew, who I went to college or business school with, then branched out to, if there's someone I wanted to reach out to, I try to find a link to see, okay, does this person, who who might know her? Who have I seen with her? A recent example of that, of that is uh, Lisa Price of Carol's Daughter. Um, I reached out to a blogger who I know and who I also interviewed on the show. And I said, <laughs> you know, not to bother you, but would you happen to uh, <laughs> be able to put me in contact? And it turns out that she pointed me to Lisa's publicist. And then that's how that kind of got together. So don't be afraid to use your network. I think having a platform that's uh, that's appealing to people low is, is definitely helpful. And you've built up quite an interesting platform as well. You've put your statistics out in a media kit and you're uh, trying to attract sponsorships. Yes. I'm curious how that's going and you know, what went into doing all of that. First of all, Side Hustle Pro, I always want to expose it. My first and foremost goal is really just exposure because I think that more people need to hear these stories. So if I don't promote this and I don't market this, then less women know about this. And when people hear the show, I get a lot of thank yous. I get a lot of, you know, oh my gosh, like this is so helpful. And so I know that people like they're this is valuable content. And so that's the first thing I thought 
I just want to gain exposure. And if more people know that, hey, people are listening to this, they'll tune in. So that was, you know, one of my reasons for promoting the downloads. And the reason for reaching out to sponsors is, again, I think that a lot of companies actually want to connect with Black women entrepreneurs, but they don't know how. And here we have an entire podcast devoted to this. And, you know, 65,000, the last time I checked, unique listens a month of women and and men too, because I get comments (laughs) from men tuning in to hear these stories. So why wouldn't, you know, I connect those two groups? That makes perfect sense. And, you know, the sponsorship also helps encourage you to keep on doing this, even though you have a full-time job. Right, right. And I would encourage everyone, I think it's a good practice, just learning to be a better salesperson. Again, it's one of those things where the work that I do for Side Hustle Pro truly does help me understand what I'm doing in the different stakeholders in my day-to-day role, because knowing now what goes into sponsorship and how sponsors think and how, you know, you report out success really has helped me to see, okay, how my marketing is supporting that goal for our sales team. And for me, being a one-woman salesperson, it's helping me to learn to communicate my value more. It's helping me to also be patient because it's a long game. It's really not one of those things where you reach out to people and you instantly get money. It's definitely a multi-stage relationship building process. It, it sounds like you've also probably learned a lot from the from the people that you've been interviewing. I know that in doing my own show, I've I've learned a great deal about what I do just talking to people and finding out how they approach things. I'm curious what to, what lessons you've picked up along the way from the people you've been interviewing. Oh, so many, so many. You're you're so right about that. I've learned a ton from my guests. The number one thing I always take away from my guests is the motivation and confidence that you need to keep going because it's such a difficult journey when you have a vision and you're starting your own thing and there are days when life just doesn't want you to be great. (laughs) Life just wants you (laughs) to give up. And hearing the obstacles that my guests have overcome really it it plays in the back of my head when I'm having a bad or down moment. Also, I've learned a lot about different ways to build my audience and emails from my guests. So some of my guests are really great at, you know, creating marketing funnels, for example. So I buy from them, you know, I, I when they release content, I'm seeking it out and because I know that they're really good and that's how they've become successful. I really learn by watching how they're balancing being a one woman show, like the the mistakes along the way and how they are able to bounce back from that. I really learn a lot from that also. Well, since you mentioned it, I'm curious, you know, as a one woman show, what mistakes did you make along the way that you've learned from? Oh, so many <laughs> <laughs> mistakes along the way. Hmm. When I think of mistakes, I think more so of just things that I just could do better. I could, taking this on, I really underestimated how much time and not just time, but how much you really have to discipline yourself to do work when you don't want to. So the mistakes I've made really comes from just trying to be a normal person and forgetting that, hey, if you have this side hustle, that's also a business plus a full-time job. Like you don't get to do what normal people do. You don't get to just come home from work and watch TV. And the the times that I do that, that's a mistake because I inevitably fall behind in work. Things are delayed with my guests. So I'm learning to be a more disciplined person. And all of my mistakes just stem from not holding myself accountable enough. 
I, I like that. So you're not when you talk about mistakes, you're not talking about like one one huge failure that caused a catastrophe. You're talking about yeah. sort of breaks in the process. Yes, yes, and even developing a process. I started out and it really was just an experiment, so I didn't have a full fledged process together. I didn't have like I'm I'm going to interview on this day. I'm going to produce it on this day, release it. Well, I knew I wanted to release it every Wednesday, but everything else was very sporadic. And I had to develop a process to get better at it. Well, that begs the question, can you tell us a little bit about your process? And not sure, only how you put it together, but what, it, what it's turned into these days. It is absolutely not perfect. But part of my process does include having days that I record. And I now use Calendly. It syncs to Google, so it's very convenient. As soon as someone selects one of the time slots, it goes into my Gmail calendar. So that's one of the ways having strict days. And I tend to not break that unless a guest can't do interviews at a certain time because of things like childcare reasons or something like that. I also now work with a producer who I'm able to send those episodes to. And we're working on that because sometimes my episodes come to him late, but in general, we try to do a 48-hour turnaround time. I wrote down every single email that I send to people. So from that initial pitch to get them on the show to the follow-up so that I don't have to think because you'd be surprised how much having to think of new words, it's just mentally draining, you know, like you need to save all your mental space. So all of those emails are in a folder. I have a spreadsheet that is like a checklist. So for each guest, it's like, okay, did you send on the questions? Did you do this? And once everything's done, I'm done, 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 done until published. And that it's the same thing with every guest that I schedule. I used to use a, a platform for this, but now I just do project management via my Google spreadsheets. And that, that seems to be working for you pretty well. I'm curious if you have a similar process set up for working with sponsors. For working with sponsors, I do have a similar spreadsheet because I am type A and I love spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they have conditional formatting with drop-down menus. So <laughs> I, I have a spreadsheet with sponsor names and where I am with the process with them as well as notes. So, you know, if I've sent them an email, if I need to follow up, if we are in talks, if they are booked, all of those things are in the spreadsheet and I keep track that way. It sounds like you like to be in control of your process and you, you, have, you haven't considered using a CRM? I will. I guess when I get when I have that many people in the pipeline, I, I will definitely need a CRM at some point. Yeah, I, I could see it leading down the road that way. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, you're kind of pioneering here, you're, you're breaking new ground with what you're creating here. But were there any role models or any examples that you were trying to follow or that helped guide the path that you're that you're following? In terms of role models, I really look up to Oprah. And it's kind of one of those things that's a little bit like almost embarrassing to say because it's like, Oprah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> right. But, you know, and she never had a podcast, but I admire her ability to carve out her own lane, like working as a newscaster to eventually starting her own network and production company. That's amazing. And so every day I come into work and I'm, I'm inspired by the great audio talent that I'm surrounded by. And sometimes it can be intimidating, like, who do I think I am? But then I think back to Oprah's story and actually an NPR member station made a podcast called Making Oprah. And listening to that story was really inspiring because it just shows that like you can be the most atypical person that no one thinks is going to one day be the face of a network. But there you are, you know, putting your face on every single magazine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Were there any others that helped you carve out your path? I don't know if I would say role model, this might boost his ego a little bit, but my path would not be what it was without my fiance, Moyo. A lot of the struggles that I went through from business school to, you know, graduating without a job and going through a period where a lot of companies were rejecting me back to back to back and really forgetting that I do have skills and talents and, you know, I am meant to do something amazing. It was because that he he went through similar experiences graduating and going through a lot of rejections and his path, and he's now an entrepreneur. It has showed me, and having his reassurance has really showed me that, you know what, this road is going to be really bumpy, but I'm going to make it. And so in that sense, it's kind of like a guiding light. Again, role model, it's strong. It's a strong term, but (laughs) I definitely look to him for a lot of inspiration, support, encouragement, and knowledge. I know how that can be. For me in my life, my husband is a big source of both inspiration and encouragement to me. Yes. And that, that can be incredibly valuable when you have that as part of your life. Do you have a URL for his information that I can include in the show notes as well? Yes, I do. It's just dailyspark.co. So I wanted to take you back, if you don't mind. You said when you started this, you were unemployed. And I'm curious about that stage in your life. What made you want to start doing something as opposed to just going out and interviewing for every possible job that you could get? I did a mixture of going out and applying, not to every possible job, but I did a mixture of both. And starting my own thing kept me sane. It kept me, again, feeling encouraged during those times when I felt really low, because it sucks to get rejection after rejection. I mean, it was just so demoralizing. And especially I went through countless interviews. At one point, I went through a round of six interviews with a company, and I really thought I was going to get it. And then, you know, they told me that they went with someone else. And I would just turn to my own stuff and flesh that out. That would keep me going because interviewing is just the worst experience ever. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, though. Interviews can be a disheartening experience. I mean, some people really love them. Some people really hate them. But ultimately, the power is always on the other side of the table when you're having an interview. You're you're applying to somebody else. I think that that's one of the things that attracts people to side hustles. And it does give you a great sense of, of confidence. Like, hey, I... I'm building something on my own and I don't have to rely on anyone really. You're also the one who defines what that thing is. And that's always an interesting challenge, I think. Did you have a clear vision when you started off what you were trying to create? When I started out, I had a clear niche that I wanted to serve and the stories that I wanted to tell. But there were times when, in all honesty, I felt nervous to do a podcast all about Black women because there are always those people that will say, well, what about X? And um, I had to really get over that and fight through that and be confident in saying like, hey, no, this is about this demographic who I feel is missing from the narrative of entrepreneurship. So in terms of that, the vision was, it was clear, but there were times where I was kind of a little loose with the language. I would say women of color (laughs) to try to make it, you know, soften that niche because I felt that people might be turned off by that. But then I realized I don't care about anyone who's turned off by that. I want to share these stories that need to be told. Sometimes the best way to attract an audience is to be very polarizing and not worry about the people that you're not trying to target. Right. And, uh, you know, your own experience, I guess, as a, as a Black woman entrepreneur, what was it about that experience that was unique for you that made you feel that there was something that needed to be communicated here? 
There are a couple of things to unpack with my own story. So number one is I didn't feel that the word entrepreneur fit me because I just, I heard entrepreneur, I would see entrepreneur and I would think of the show Silicon Valley. I would think of like Mark Zuckerberg. I never really thought about Nikayla Matthews, Jamaican girl from the Bronx <laughs> becoming the becoming an entrepreneur would just seem too wild, too out there. And then as I started to unpack that and tap into my fears and, and investigate my fears, I realized, okay, it's not it's not the that entrepreneurship isn't for me. It's that there's this like picture that I just need to break apart and redefine. And I have to redefine it my way. So I'm gonna go out there and share the stories of all the people who don't look like the stereotype, who are millionaires, multimillionaires, and started out as side hustlers because this is a different narrative that people need to put out there, especially with the amount of student loan debt that exists. That narrative of being able to just sleep on couches and eat ramen noodles is, is just not realistic for, for most people. Absolutely. And the economy is changing dramatically these days. I mean, you're, you're the perfect example of somebody who has a full-time job, and yet side hustling is still a critical part of what you're doing. Right. And honestly, it's probably the thing that keeps the income continuous as jobs become something that you move from every one or two years. Right, right. It's definitely something that I know, you know, should something, if anything were to happen, like I feel like i confident that I could you know, survive. You know, and it's interesting that you've continued to target employment at large companies while continuing this. Do you see that changing eventually in your career? I do see myself ultimately going full time as, and whether that's a side hustle, full time, I'm sorry, a podcasting media professional is still to be determined. But ultimately, the journey I'm displaying and showcasing on my show is one that I also want to follow. And, and my listeners will be able to follow me on that journey, because ultimately, I do want to be an entrepreneur, but they met me and have known me as a side hustler. So it'll be cool to show them that journey of when I'm finally able to um, break loose. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So this is as much about developing your personal brand as it is about developing your podcasting skills. It is. I I think less of my personal brand and more of just authentically sharing a journey because not enough people share the non-accomplishments. And even I need to do a better job of that. Like, because I'm an introvert, I tend to go into a hole and like not post on social when things are going, like I wasn't posting about, hey, I'm unemployed and I just got five rejections when that was happening. But once I got my job, I posted that. And it's like, why do we do that? Why do we only post the good stuff and, or when you come out on the other side? So I'm hoping to just show the authentic journey of what it's like to have frustrating moments when you work for someone else, but, you know, still be side hustling because, hey, you can't just go out there and not have revenue coming in every month and then eventually show how I was able to do it. That is a really interesting point that people do tend to publish only the positive things and not the negative things. Oh, yeah. Only the highlight reel. <laughs> but you also mentioned you're an introvert. And that that's fascinating to me because you've chosen to do something that really is putting yourself out there in such a such a big way. I, I'm curious how, how you came to that. I always 
always say I'm an introvert with extrovert tendencies. And that is because you can't, you really can't survive in this world without learning how to navigate a lot of extroverted environments and situations. And I think people also don't always know what an introvert is. They define it in a way that you're like shy and reclusive. And that's not the case. I just get my energy by having a lot of me time and being able to decompress without having to feel pressure to talk to people and make small talk, that is how I recharge. So that's really what an introvert is. And yes, that that is completely me. I love my me time. But when it's time to go out there and be professional, do my job, obviously, the the hope is that usually I've been able to recharge enough that I like have all the energy and resources ready to like interact and talk to people. So I try to balance that out. That leads me to ask you about what, what your self-care routine is. I know that a lot of people have uh, like mindfulness practices or how do you manage your self-care routine with all of the things you're trying to keep going at the same time? My self-care routine before I started planning a wedding, <laughs> because right now... <laughs> That self-care routine is kind of non-existent, unfortunately. <laughs> Before I started planning my wedding, and, and, I, and I guess I still do this, I am mindful of trying to spend a moment in the mornings to thank God for waking me up, for journaling, writing down what I'm grateful for. And I try to keep my phone outside of my bedroom and be able to just decompress at least 30 minutes before bed without looking at my phone and social media to just have my mind clear before bed. So my self-care really revolves around a lot of clearing my head, writing down thoughts, and trying to unpack anything that's like frustrating me or making me unhappy so that I can like leave that there. Once I've written it in my journal, it's gone. And I feel like okay, I can breathe, like I've written it out, it's going to be dealt with. So those are things that I have practiced since I was a little girl. I've journaled since at least fourth grade. And it's it's something that keeps me sane. So as somebody who also journals, I'm curious, do you ever go back and read your journals? I used to, but nowadays, I not on a regular basis, definitely not on a regular basis, because I kind, kind of to what I just said, like, I feel sometimes like going back there kind of brings it back to life a little bit. And I like to like write it down and leave it there. And then to me, then it's done. Then I've, I've gotten one step further away from that challenge. So what does your daily schedule end up looking like these days? These days, my schedule is not too bad. And I say not too bad because it could be a lot worse, but I do crash at some point. So I typically wake up and go to the gym or, you know, have a session with the personal trainer. And again, that's all because of wedding planning. <laughs> I did not have a personal trainer before that. Like I'm not that person, but it's been helping me get there. And then, you know, I'm racing off to work. Usually, if I'm being honest, I'm running late there because just waking up, I'm not a morning person. And then, you know, exercising and then post that once you're sore, trying to get your day going is tough for me. But I'm commuting to work. I'm working 930, 9, 9 to 5. And then usually... Um, racing from work to do interviews. I do interviews from around seven to nine. And after that, that's when I can really dig into emails and, and administrative work that goes into Side Hustle Pro. And, and I usually crash around 11 or 12. 
start all over again. The stuff that you're doing for Side Hustle Pro, you mentioned that you're working with a with a producer. That means that you're, you're starting to delegate some of the responsibilities you used to do yourself as, as a one-person show. I'm curious how you found a producer to work with and how that experience was for you. The producer actually reached out to me and I would say that's one of the most successful cold emails I've ever responded to because usually I think one other producer might have reached out to me before and I was like, you know, went to his website and it just seemed really sketchy. But for this particular producer, his name is Chris, Chris Mann of Podshaper. He sent me an email and told me, you know, he'd been listening to some of my shows and, you know, he supports podcasts by doing this. He linked to his portfolio. We set up a call to talk some more. And from there, I really vibed with his aura. I'm an aura person. (laughs) I really felt good about it. So, you know, gave him a couple of episodes to test out. From there, it's just become a great professional and business relationship and someone that I can really count on to turn around my episodes. And it's taken a huge weight off of me because I used to stay up till one, sometimes two in the morning editing and trying to make audio sound good for my podcast. And I am by no means an audio engineer. So it was really tough. It's a shame when you have to try to develop all of the skills yourself, but it's also can be, it can be very hard letting go of pieces of of the work that you're doing. Absolutely. At first, I didn't know how it was going to work because I was just like, I mean, there are little things that I might want to take out when I feel like I'm rambling with guests. How will you know when to take out my rambles and when to leave them in? But we found a science and found a way to make that work. Do you do a final pass yourself? I do a final pass. And also I send I send notes along the way. So I'll say, you know, hey, I was kind of rambling here. You can cut that out and go back to the and go to the next question. And so things like that to guide him. That makes sense. Are there other pieces of your job that you think you might be delegating in the future? Absolutely. I am getting ready to go through my applications for my social media intern because social media is one place where I do so much. You know, I have a Facebook group, an Instagram, Twitter, like I'm across platforms. So I really do need support in keeping up content and community management there. That's the next thing I will definitely outsource. And from there, we'll see. I can't quite wrap my mind around the virtual assistant piece yet, but eventually I will need that. Just having someone in my inbox is kind of weird to me, but eventually I will need that. (laughs) It can be challenging just having somebody doing your social media because that's really your, your public identity. Right, right. I see great articles all the time that I want to share, but I just don't have time to schedule it like I would like to. So it would be more of that than like pretending to be me or anything. It would be us sitting down, but you know, maybe that person would actually schedule stuff out further in advance. So... The biggest thing I want is to not ever have to side hustle during my time and my day job. So that will just help me having everything else scheduled out in advance. Of course. Yeah, it can be very challenging keeping your day job and your side hustle separate. And I'm sure that's something that a lot of your guests have talked about as well. Yes, yes. We talk about that for sure, because I have an episode about how to side hustle and not get fired <laughs> because <laughs> it is it is a real concern. And it's, it's really something that people can overlook. And before you know it, you're getting called down to HR to explain yourself. That's true. Although depending on the industry, sometimes the side hustle can end up being something that's beneficial to your employer as well. It's certainly in your case, I would think. 
That's true. My first boss at NPR, he's the reason I joined the company, actually, because he was very supportive of my side hustle. I was very transparent about what I was doing before joining. I had it on my resume because, you know, it's something that I was committed to and I was not going to stop doing because of any company. And he would always tell me, like, that's awesome. Like, the great things you're doing reflects well on NPR. So keep doing that and never feel afraid to do that. And that was really, it just sealed the deal for me, just having such an awesome, supportive boss. That's wonderful. And it also speaks to the importance of interviewing the company, not just letting the company interview you when you're talking to somebody. Exactly. You're putting together some amazing information in your podcast. And I'm curious if you've thought about other ways that you might package that information so that other people could have access to it. I have thought about other ways and I am still working that out right now. I don't have everything neatly tied up in a bow, but I have been thinking about some other ways to package that up and to do it quickly because before you know it, then there've been too many episodes and it's kind of like, I love Lucy in that episode where you're trying to package the chocolates, I think it is. (laughs) So yeah, I am eagerly working on that. Tim Ferriss recently published a book and it was a compilation of of learnings from so many of his podcast guests. I think we have that book. Is that the Tools of Titans or something? That is the one, yes. And yeah, yeah it, it can be challenging because not everybody has you know, 45 minutes to sit and listen to an episode of a podcast, but there are these nuggets of wisdom that you just want to capture and share with people. Yeah. Of your podcasts that you've done, are there pieces that stand out for you that really uh, like sparked inspiration for you? There are so many. Um, That question always intimidates me because there have just been (laughs) so many great pieces. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is actually one of my very first guests. Her name is Stephanie Thomas, and she's a venture capitalist with a company by the name of Impact America Fund. They are a social impact venture fund. And she said, tell a story that no one else can tell. I love that quote so much because... It's a reminder to me to always own my journey, own my mistakes, own my rejections, because that's all a part of a story that no one else can tell. And that's why people are tuning in. That's why people resonate with me, because whoever it is that resonates with me, it's about something about my story that no one else has told them before. So that is a piece from an episode that sticks with me and I think about very frequently. That's wonderful. And and it, it leads me to a question of mentorship, because a lot of people find mentorship is an important part of their journey. Has that been part of what you've been working, part of the journey that you've followed? As far as mentorship goes, I haven't followed it in a linear way, in the way most people describe it. I think that I've had mentors, unofficial mentors along the way. I've never had like an official like, hey, you're my mentor. I'm your mentee. I've never had that. And at some point I would like that. I think I get mentorship from books, from podcasts, from listening to people's journey. And so in a sense, Side Hustle Pro is a form of mentorship. But going back to like in-person real mentors, I've had the good fortune of having some really great women of color be my bosses. So my first boss ever when I was an intern, I interned in high school at HBO. It was very random, but I I landed an internship there. And the head of HR or the head of the internship program in HR was a black woman who I'm still in touch with to this day. She's coming to my wedding. And although she may not be able to relate with everything that I go through, you know, we didn't follow the same career path. She's obviously in HR, human capital, that world, and I'm in marketing. 
but she's been a sounding board for a lot of my career transitions, tough times, challenges, salary negotiations. <laughs> so <laughs> I've definitely turned to her. And again, I've had that her name is Angela. I'll shout her out. In addition, my boss who brought me into the world of social media marketing, Adriana, has again been another sounding board person that I just have been able to consult with and turn to for support at various points in my career long after she was my boss. So in that sense, and I never you know, said to these women, hey, you're my mentor, but they, they were. <laughs> So what about your own social network yourself? I mean, as you've been doing this, you've been developing your social network. I'm curious if you've found yourself gravitating toward other people who are doing the sorts of things you're doing. I have created a mastermind, and that's actually the Side Hustle Pro. So there are two masterminds that I'm a part of. I'm a part of a personal network mastermind of women who, and it's just four of us, we and actually Stephanie Thomas, who I mentioned, is one of those women and I just knew them and we had similar interests at this point in our life in entrepreneurship, but we're all side hustlers. Two of them are attorneys and Stephanie, although she works as a VC, is also figuring out different projects she might want to do independently. So together we meet once a month to help and push each other forward with our different businesses and initiatives. And then I created the Side Hustle Pro community on Facebook as an extension of the podcast because there's so many women who would reach out and they'd say, hey, do you know any, anyone in Atlanta? Like I saw a quote the other day that said, you know, if you feel like a weirdo, like find other weirdos. That's what made me create the group because I realized like you really need to be around like-minded people. Not everyone is going to get this. Like, what do you mean you want to start your own business? What, what's a side hustle? Why are you doing this on the side? You could have so much more time if you didn't do all this other stuff. You need to be around people who get it. And so that's what the Side Hustle Pro community has become. That's excellent. It addresses one of the other questions I had for it, which is how you're getting feedback from your audience. It sounds like that's one of the paths. Yes, that's one of the paths. The Side Hustle Pro community, I've turned to a bunch of times when anything from when I'm like, okay, I'm interviewing this person and I'm, I don't know, what should I ask? They've given me feedback. They've given me feedback on things that I can change. One person came in once to tell me when an episode just was not good to her. <laughs> she was like, I just didn't like this one. And I was like, okay, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. So it's definitely real-time feedback, and I appreciate that. <laughs> and the mastermind that you're that you the, the four of you, the, do you get together physically, or is that something you do virtually? Both. We try to do physically, and then we also do Skype when our schedules are just won't align for us to all meet up. But we started out as like an in-person once a month. So you've gotten your podcast, your career to the stage that it is right now. I'm curious, if you were starting over again, given the things that you've learned along the way, how would you try launching what you're trying to do? Hmm. If I were to start all over again, I don't think I would do anything differently because... Well, first of all, I did a lot of research before I started. So anything that I could do as an independent producer, independent host, I did. I, you know, got the microphone that I needed and I learned about easy and straightforward editing and Auphonic is something I, I use to try to clear up the audio on the back end. But I don't think I could have learned or even knew how to vet a producer if I hadn't done those things. So I wouldn't do 
much differently. I would probably learn more about <laughs> setting up a pillow fort audio booth since I don't record in a studio. <laughs> and, <Yes. laughs> and so that has been a little challenging. And so now I'm learning how to make the audio, the acoustics identical for each episode. So we don't have as much uh, sound variations because that's challenging for my producer. So I would learn a little bit more about that <laughs> if I could. Absolutely. Did you take a course in order to learn all of these things or did you just pick up what you could from like YouTube videos and such? I picked up what I could. So starting out, I listened to John Lee Dumas's podcast course, which is actually a podcast. He made um, like a seven or eight part podcast episodes about how to start your own podcast. And then Pat Flynn had some great videos about how to, you know, edit, how to use your microphone and record. And I actually created a one-sheeter where I linked to all of the resources I used to start out. So that's where I learned. And as far as the audio and acoustics information that I'm learning now, I actually turned to NPR for a lot of that. NPR has a great training website that has a, a plethora of audio information. So I highly encourage any podcaster to take advantage of that. Is a link to that on your one sheet as well? No, I need to update that. Thank you for reminding me that. <laughs> Good. You update that and I will include a link to your one sheet in our show notes. Oh, thank you. Yes, I will send Spe you that. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, so I'm sure a lot of people who are listening here are going to be interested in how to find you and how to find out more about you. Where, where, where do people find you online? I can be found. My website is sidehustlepro.co. I spend most of my time on Instagram. I'm just at sidehustlepro there on Twitter at sidehustlepro as well. And then if you want to join the sidehustlepro Facebook community, you can find us at sidehustlepro.co forward slash Facebook. Fantastic. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be looking for that. And I really appreciate your making the time to come and share your process with everybody here. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit HackTheProcess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.